great to be here. We are, we as Rick said, we're in a series called I Am Is. I Am is the name that comes from um, the name that God gave Moses, what Yahweh gave Moses, when Moses requested, give me a name. I, I need to know who's sending me to talk to these people. Who are you send, who's sending me to talk to the Egyptians on behalf of the children of Israel? And he said, tell them that I am is the one. So if you want more about that stories and more details about that, you can find that in the book of Exodus. You can read that at a different time. In this series, we're looking at some of the attributes of God. We've been looking at some of the attributes of God, and what we've seen so far is that I am is Trinity. It's three in one. We've seen that I am is eternal. It's forever, past, present, and future. We've seen that I am is immutable. He's unchanging. We've seen that I am is spirit. And if you've missed any of these, you can catch up on these online. I just encourage you, if you've missed those, go back and, and listen to those. Because here's the point. This is why we're going through a series like this. This is a significant series. It's a deep series. But the reason that we need to understand and look at and consider these attributes of God so that we would be able to recognize them and experience some of His greatness. And by experiencing His greatness, we will have the opportunity to know Him deeper. And as we know Him deeper, it affects our motivations, our motivations to sacrifice, to give, and to go, and to serve. Because we know Him deeper, we're motivated to serve Him fuller or greater. So that's the point. That's why we want you to know and experience God in His bigness, in His greatness, in His fullness but to the end that we know him better, that we would sacrifice and be motivated to serve and to go for him. So today we're looking at the attribute that I am is sovereign, that I am is sovereign. So what does that mean and why is that, why is that important? Because the, again, these are words and language that we don't typically use on a daily basis. We just don't use them, but what does that mean? To be sovereign means to be a supreme ruler, like a monarch. You know, something we don't have in the U.S., but that's what it means, to be a supreme ruler or a monarch, one who is sovereign possesses supreme or ultimate power, ultimate power. If you're sovereign, you have unlimited, unrestricted, and unrestrained power. So to say that God is sovereign is to say that God is all-powerful. It's to say that He, is, he has supreme rule and authority over all things. He's in control. This is what we say. When we say that God is sovereign, we say that He is in control, that He is all-powerful. But here's the rub. Here's the rub, okay? If, you know, just to be transparent, in our lives, it does not always feel like He's in control. It doesn't always feel like He's all-powerful, because sometimes it just feels like, you know, something just ain't right. Let me go all, you know, Android. It, something ain't right. It just ain't right. And we're trying to figure it out because, again, we're looking at it through the lens of our perspective and our circumstances and our situation. Because if it isn't right in our life, in our circumstance, in our situation, we assume that something is off at some cosmic level, that God is missing something It's not it's not going right. We've got trouble lights blinking all across our dashboard, and we're trying to figure out what's going on here. Do you guys, you know what, this idea of a word for a year? 
you have a word for a year that, you know, you pick this word and it's like your theme and you come back to it and sets the tone and direction for your year, your word for the year? Super, nobody. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen what? Listen, listen, I have a word for the year and, and my word for this year is, is trust. It's trust. And, and so you say, well, why is trust your word for the year? Well, let me tell you, it's because I have trust issues. With God. I have trust issues with God. You know, this is a safe space, right? So we can be open, honest, and transparent. So trust issues with God. Last summer, the landlord of the church that I was pastoring decided to sell our building. And there was nothing that I could do about it. There was nothing I could do about it. I could not control the situation. I couldn't think my way out of the situation, out of the circumstance. And at the same time, the church and the leaders of the church were having conversations regarding the way, or at least a way, forward. And honestly, as the discussion was happening, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan. I was resistant, and I started looking for a way out. I thought, well, there's got to be a way out if it's not for the church, at least for me. In other words, this may be good for y'all, but this ain't good for me. And But it, what it felt like, and this is the way I described it to my wife, I said, that feels like this irresistible tidal wave forcing me or driving me in a direction that I don't want to go. Have you ever felt like that? That you were in a situation, you were put in a place that it felt like there was nothing you can do. It was totally out of your control. And you were being forced or driven. And you're like, nope, I don't like this. But here it is. It's just this wave of water. And you, I mean, you about to be gone. <laughs> it's happening. Oh, it's happening, sweetheart. So I didn't trust what was happening. I didn't trust that what was happening was the best way. And this is, here's, here's my issue. I was focusing on what I felt was being taken away or what I was losing than considering that there was a sovereign God who in His love and kindness was guiding me to something better. No. And since I couldn't see it, since I couldn't imagine it, I couldn't get on board. Have you ever been like that? You didn't understand it. You couldn't see it. It didn't quite make sense. It didn't add up. And so you're like, mm, nope. Just a big no to God. I felt more like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a guy, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with that. But before he turned to God, he wasn't a Christ follower yet. He felt that God was this transcendental interferer. Now, I don't know about the whole word transcendental, but let's go interfere. I understand that. He wrote, this is what he wrote. He said, no word in my vocabulary expressed deeper hatred than the word interference. But Christianity placed at the center of what then seemed to me a transcendental interferer. So yeah, God is powerful, God is sovereign, but when it doesn't go our way, according to our will, according to our plan, our way, we struggle, or I struggle. I won't throw you guys in the, into this yet. 
But I struggle or even bristle at the plan and the will and the way of God. In our mind, it seems like God sent Jesus to mess with our plan, to interfere, to interfere with our carefully laid schemes. It seems like, it seems like that he even delights in ruining what we thought was a pretty sweet deal. God shows up to mess it up. Fantastic. Huh? Now, we're being open and honest and real here, right? Huh? And we all know, we all know what Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker. With great power comes great responsibility. Hmm? But, but with great power, does goodness get attached to that as well? So we know God is powerful, but is he good? Because if God is powerful and sovereign, what does that mean? And what does that mean for us today in our circumstances and our challenges? When our plans and dreams seem, come on, it seems like they're being interfered with. Huh? It seems like they're being interfered with. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me in Acts chapter 4. Acts is in the New Testament. It's short for Acts of the Apostle. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Short for the Acts of the Apostles. And let me give you some context before we jump into what we're going to look at today. In Acts chapter 4, you got some of the followers of Jesus. They've been going around and they've been teaching about Jesus. Now, at this point, Jesus has already died on the cross and he is, he is risen, and he has visited some of the disciples after this, and now he's ascended to heaven. And so these guys, his close followers, they're going around, and they're talking about Jesus. And when we look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, the religious leaders of the day, look what it says. It says they were greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed. It's just fascinating what you bump into when you read, read the Bible. In verse 3, we see Peter and John. These were two of the really close followers of Jesus. It says they were arrested. And then in 5 through 12, you see that they're given this hearing. They're basically brought on trial before this Jewish council or what was known as the Sanhedrin. Uh, In verse 12, they proclaim that salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ. And then, but look at verse 10. And they're talking to this group and they say, Whom you crucified. This is what we're talking about. Verse 13 through 22, they're given a warning. Verse 13, the religious leaders are astonished. Like, man, these guys, they're not that bright. I mean, they may have even been thinking, you know, these guys are from Irwin. I don't know. I don't know. They're uneducated. But notice what they said. Notice what they said. It is clear to us that it looks like they have been with Jesus. It looks like these guys, they have been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. What, would people recognize, this is an aside, this is a bonus. Would people recognize that you have been with Jesus? What would they recognize when they look at your life and they would talk about you? Oh, we can tell he's been with, she's been with. What would that blank look like? So the religious leaders speaking to, to Peter and John there said, listen, you Listen, you guys, don't speak or teach about the name of Jesus. In verse 20, Peter and John continue to push back, and they reply, we can't speak. We cannot but speak about what we've seen and what we heard. 
We can't help it. We've got to do it. And so they're given more threats, and then they're let go in verse 21. And this is where we're starting to pick up the story today, which, which you know, that sort of brings us up to speed. But we come into verse 23, and it says, when they were released, remember we said they were released. It says they went to their, their friends, or they returned to their own. They went to their people. These are my people. I'm going to my people. So they show up to their people. They go back to their community. This is the early church. And so they're released, and in verse 24 it says, And when they heard, they lifted their voices together. So they show up, they give their report, and then the people unified begin to turn their hearts together in prayer to God. Going to God in prayer, this shows our dependence on God. It shows our dependence on His all-sufficiency. And then in verse 24, we jump into the prayer. And when they heard it, heard the report, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and here's our word for today, sovereign, sovereign Lord. This was the key to their confidence. This was their foundation that drove them to the face of God in prayer. This is it, this sovereign Lord. And perhaps they viewed our situation as dire, this is messed up. So they address God, they address God as sovereign, understanding that He is in control. But look what they tie it to. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When they see God as sovereign, they see Him as sovereign creator. Going all the way back to the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But this not only implies that God is sovereign as creator, but he's in control. Thus, they can approach God with confidence because he can do something about their situation. If he made all of this sovereign creator, but he's also sovereign sustainer, he holds it all together. As Paul wrote in a different place, he says, for by him, he's talking about Jesus in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So God is sovereign creator, but he is also the sovereign sustainer. And then it gets kind of weird in this prayer. When you come down to verse 25, it says, For through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? You've got this group of people, the Gentiles, they're raging and they're plotting. And you're thinking, I don't know about the Gentiles. We understand why Clay is raging and plotting. He has trust issues. But they're talking about Gentiles raging. See, here in the middle of their prayer, they're praying Scripture because this is quoting Psalm 2. And it's pointing to God's intervention. C.S. Lewis would say interference or interruption in history. And so not only is God a sovereign creator, not only is God a sovereign sustainer, but He's also a sovereign finisher. He has a plan and He's working His plan. Now, I don't know about you, but there's certain things that I need to be reminded of. The prophet Isaiah says it this way, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, 
God's ways and thoughts are higher than mine. I can't see it, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. And when the early church is praying this prayer, they seem to be pointing out that this psalm was fulfilled in a couple of names that they're about to mention, in Herod and Pilate, the Gentiles and the Jews, and what they did to Jesus. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and the Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They were hostile forces conspiring. There was this conspiracy. These were the key players, and they were all directed at Jesus. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Because this seems unusual, This seems odd, you know, okay, you were released. Why are we not celebrating? They're praying, and they say, Sovereign Lord. And then they're praying this prayer, and then we're sitting here. What's happening? What's happening? I want you to understand what's driving their prayer and their understanding of why they view God as sovereign. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan, you have to like a little rhyme there, right? Your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Your hand means your power. God has, has power and God has a plan. And we have to know, well, what is the plan? What is the plan? The plan is to rescue his people. And why do people need to be rescued? People need to be rescued, and you know this by experience, because sin has corrupted, sin has stained, sin has ruined their lives. It has wrecked and ruptured our relationship, not only with each other, but with our Creator. But God in His power, according to His plan, according to His sovereign power, and according to His great love, He sent His Son to initiate, to pursue, and to reconcile us to our Creator. Let me just remind you and walk you through what this looks like from Scripture. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave or He sent His Son. God loves us, and so He sent. He's a coming down kind of God. He sends us. He initiates. But while God showed His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in Romans 5.8. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Where does reconciliation come from? It comes from God through His Son. And how are we reconciled to God? By his death, the death of Jesus. He died the death that we deserved. He paid the penalty that we owed. But what is sin? One writer says it this way, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Our sin is when we try to replace God with something something that we think that we're going to find that's going to satisfy us, that will pleasure us, that will make this need more than anything that God can do. And then God shows up and sends His Son. In 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Are you hearing? Because everything I'm telling you, this is gospel. This is good news. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why, why, why? Why did Jesus suffer? Why did Jesus die? That he might bring us to God. You need to underline that. Why did Jesus do what he did? To bring us to God. Why did he suffer and die? To bring us to God. To bring us to God. Being put to death 
in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins. He bore your sins. He bore my sins. He took them on so that we would have a hope and a future. That we might die to sin and live to righteous. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, this is God's sovereign plan. This is God at work. Romans 5, 2, through him, we have also obtained access. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so with all of this in mind, with this foundation in their minds that God is sovereign, that Jesus saves, and understanding that they have access to the throne room where the decisions of the universe are made, they approach God as sovereign Lord and make three requests. In verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Here's the first request. Look at their threats. Look at what's being done against us. Investigate. Show some concern, Lord, into this matter. Be concerned about what we're concerned about so we can be concerned about what you're concerned about. Look upon their threats. They're not, they weren't praying, hey, take them out, Lord. Take out the bad guys. But what we are asking is, please take note of the injustice that's going on here. Be aware of what we're up against. Lord, could you please be aware of what we're up against? We're not asking that you take them out. We're not even asking that they be crushed or that we be delivered from the stress of this opposition. But what we are asking is that you would help us successfully remain faithful in the face of opposition. That's what we're asking. That's what we're asking. Second, they ask for boldness to speak God's word. What is God's word? Here they're talking about the gospel. Everything I just rehearsed with you. That we would be able to speak it. Grant us or allow us to present your word. The story of Jesus and his work. That we would be able to do it with confidence and with courage. Enable us, they're praying. Enable us, your servants, to speak in such a way that we're undeterred and unafraid in the face of all of these threats. This is what my mentor told me one time. I was struggling with some of this stuff, and he said, Clay, Clay, Clay. And when he called me by name, I knew he was serious because he never did. He said, Clay, God has already done the miraculous in you. Now he wants to do the miraculous through you. Hmm? If you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, God has already done the miraculous in you, and now he wants to do something miraculous through you for his glory, and for the sake of this community. Hmm? And so they're praying for the boldness and the confidence to engage even though they're being threatened. God is up to something and he wants to do something. They can't see it. We can't see it. And so we often think, well, if we can't see it, then something's not right. And so then it becomes a trust issue. Do we trust even though we don't understand it and we can't see it and it doesn't make sense? Is it okay? Is God still at work? Can we have that kind of confidence? But notice what they're up against. Remember, they're praying about the prospect of disobeying the command of the Sanhedrin. They told him, don't be teaching about this Jesus guy. You need to bottle up that noise. I don't want, we don't want to hear that from you. You're making us look bad. So stop it. That's what they're saying. And so now they're praying, Lord, they're telling us not to. And so there's some tension. 
But we know we can't keep this to ourselves. We have to proclaim it. And so what they're, they're understanding is God is sovereign. We should share boldly. Their third petition comes in verse 30. And while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They have prayed for God to look at the threats. Just be aware of our situation. They've asked God to give us boldness in the middle of the threats. And now they're praying that God would put his power on display. They're asking him, Lord, perform healings and signs and wonders. Reveal yourself as the sovereign that you are. Be the sovereign God that you are. And so here they are. They're praying this prayer. And it just makes me think. So this is something that they're praying. What are the things that we pray? Because prayer is turning away from ourselves to God in confidence that he will provide something that we need. When we ask ask God to do for us through Christ, we're, we're asking, do what we can't do for ourselves. In prayer, we're acknowledging that God is sovereign and that we're not. You see, if you were sovereign, there was no need for you to pray big because you don't need any help because you would be all-powerful. And this may be new news to you on the day that you've lost an hour of sleep. You are not sovereign. You are frail. You are weak. You are tired. But you have access to the throne room where the decisions of the universe are made. Are you leveraging that benefit? Because sometimes we say, yes, I'm a prayer. Well, what do you pray? God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. Amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord so to keep. Andrew's got me through tonight. Keep me through the Lord. I can let him What was that last part? I didn't know. Amen. So we we've got these 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 prayers that we've said so often. We have no idea what we're saying. This is what was. I mean, this is just a thought. The, you know, the, what do the size of your prayers look like? Because it seems to me that the size of your prayers would match your perspective of the size of your God. The first modern missionary said it this way. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And and I just wonder, do we expect great things from God? When you walked in this morning, are you expecting God to show up and show off? Are you expecting the God that's done the miraculous in you to do the miraculous through you? Is there any thought that if God's going to change Harnett County, that he's going to do it through Anthem Church? Or we just keep waiting for him to do it through somebody else? Why not us? Why not now? This is old Puritan prayer. Help me not only to desire small things, but with holy boldness to desire great things for thy people, for myself, so that they and I might live to show thy glory. Do you desire great things? Do you expect God to answer? Do you expect that if you prayed that the place would be shaken. Dads, do you pray for your kids? Dads, do you pray for your kids? Dads, do you pray for your mother? 
Because your kids need to hear you pray. They need to hear you model and show the importance of prayer. If it doesn't matter to you, it won't matter to them. Do you pray for your boss? I didn't say, do you run him down and talk bad about him? I said, do you pray for him? Do you pray for your coworkers? Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for your church? Do you pray for your pastor? I mean, my Lord, look at him. He needs it. <laughs> seriously, seriously, let, let me, let's not get away from this. How often do you, pray for, do, you, do you pray for Pastor Rick? Do you understand that what goes on is not just things in the physical, but there are things because of his role and his position that happen in the spiritual realm? that we can't see, we don't understand, we don't even anticipate, but they go on around him because he has drawn his line in the sand and I am going to be here and I'm going to proclaim and I'm going to be the man of God here. He needs your prayers desperately. You should be praying daily, daily for your pastor and the leadership team here. You, you know, I know everyone knows John Newton in Amazing Grace. Everyone knows Amazing Grace, but that's not the only song he wrote. He wrote another song that, that, that includes this line. And we need to know this. And he's talking about prayer. He says, for you are coming to a king, large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power is such that none can ever ask too much. And we approach God like we're always asking too much. And we're afraid to ask. And we won't ask. We don't come big and bold. Because, well, he, I don't know. He's, maybe he's sovereign, but it, I don't want to be. It's inconvenient. You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. You can't over ask. You can't overreach. What are the prayers that you're praying? What are you showing up for? What are you pouring out before the King of kings and the Lord of lords? See, life is short. Don't waste a second on frivolous stuff and weak asks. Man, pray big. Pray bold. God is sovereign. Pray big. And so they've gone through this challenge. They've shown up and they're praying to God. And then in verse 31, God answers. Imagine that. And God answers their three requests with three answers. He actually gives it in the way of three signs. It says in verse 31, And when they prayed, and when they prayed in the place which they were gathered together was shaken. All right, now I get it. If we all started praying in this place was shaken, we would freak out. We would lose our junk. We would lose our minds. But the place was shaken. It vibrated. This is an unusual response, but it shows God had heard their prayers. He's like, gotcha. Could you, I mean, just, I mean, I go there visually. I just think, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This can't be good. How would you react if one of your prayers shook the place? It's second. The second response was, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They are given a fresh filling of the third member of the Godhead. God Almighty is present in the lives of every Christ follower. The living God is in you. You are empowered. You are equipped to accomplish what you have been created for. 
that is absolutely mind-blowing. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these tremendous attributes of God, and God has made us to have this interaction, this connection with Him. It's amazing. The third response is this, and they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. Remember, this is what they showed up for. Lord, help us. Give us boldness. And their reliance on God resulted in them being enabled for mission. Because God is sovereign, because God is sovereign, we can pray big and we can pray big prayers and we can make a bold witness. God's sovereignty gives us the confidence to pray big and to share bold. So now when we begin to wrestle with, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? I want you to think about these type of things. What should you pray? When you evaluate your prayer life and the number of minutes, the number of minutes that you give to prayer, what are the things that you're praying for? And then think about it this. If God has equipped you and empowered you and made you for mission, who should you tell? Who should you tell? Do you trust God's sovereign goodness? Do you trust that He is up to something greater than you can think or imagine just because you can't see it? Is, what if He's up to something good behind the scenes? Do you trust God's sovereign goodness? And for me, as I was reading through my Bible reading plan for the year, I saw an example. This is what it looks like when we don't trust God's sovereign goodness. It's in Numbers 21, and I get it. You know, only a Bible reading plan will get you to somewhere like this. But in Numbers 20, I think you should look through this later this afternoon. Numbers 21, verses 4 through 6. It's it's not much. The children of Israel, they're moving around. They've set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around, it says, the land of Edom. And the people became impatient. Good thing that's not us, right? The people became impatient on the way. Where do we tend to become impatient? On the way, in the line at the DMV. The people became impatient on the way. The people, and then watch what happened. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die? Why have you brought us up out of here to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents, (laughs) and they bit the people, and so many of them died. Let's unpack this. So they're not trusting the sovereign goodness of God, and when we don't trust the sovereign goodness of God, we get impatient with God's process. We get impatient with God's place for us, where He has put us, what He's up to in our lives, and we get impatient with the place. We don't like the where. Oh, not here. Mm-mm. Nope. So we get impatient with the process. But the problem is, look at what happens. When we get impatient, maybe this is you, how do we respond? When we respond with impatience, we begin to grumble and complain. We begin to moan and groan. Look at his food. His food is terrible. I loathe this food. Manna from heaven. This stuff is nasty. You can get this stuff anywhere. So, I mean, just, but think about this. Now, that's them, but what about you? When you get impatient, 
and you begin to push back against God in his process of his pace, it's not fast enough, maybe it's not slow enough, and you don't like where he's placed you, so you're impatient, you respond by grumbling and complaining, and when we grumble and complain, we begin to make bad decisions because we're trying to get ahead of God. And the result of that, we experience unpleasant consequences. I personally not a fan of snakes. And the Lord sent fiery serpents, and they bit the people, and then they died. So the question is, as you tap the brakes and you consider that that God is sovereign, that He's all-knowing, that He's all-powerful, that He's kind, that He's given us a plan, do you trust that? Because when we trust God's sovereign goodness, our response looks radically different. There's this, this level of confidence. There's confidence in the place where He's put us. We trust that He's prepared us. We trust that He's placed us. We, plus, we trust that this is the right place at the right time. And so, you know what we're able to do? We're able just to breathe. Able to breathe. Some of you, you get so whipped up. You're so anxious. Someone needs to tap you on the shoulder and say, are you breathing? Because this is what happens when we lose our, our connection and our trust in God. We forget and we're not breathing. But when we're trusting the sovereign goodness, not only are we confident in what God is up to, we show gratitude. See, this is an indicator. Are you grateful for what God is up to in your life? Are you grateful for what He's done, for what He's provided, for where He's placed you? Are you grateful for the pace of your life currently? That's an indicator. When's the last time, don't count Thanksgiving, that you express gratitude to God? When's the last time that at the end of the service that you walked up to your pastor and said, Rick, I'm so thankful for you and the sacrifices that you make for my spiritual well-being? I'm grateful for the sacrifices that you make for the furtherance of God's kingdom in our community. Thank you for what you're doing. When's the last time that you you said something like that to your boss? Or the last time you said something like that to your spouse? Kids, when's the last time you said that to your mom or your dad? Thank you, mom, for cooking me supper. See, that's rare. Sometimes you get the kid that says, can I have a different plate? Because it looks like somebody threw up on mine. (laughs) Got on a different plate. Don't say that. Be grateful. And then when we trust that God is sovereign, that he's good, not only are we confident, not only are we grateful, but we're bold. We don't want to keep this information to ourselves. And I get it. 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 That learning and leaning into God's goodness is a process. It takes time. We grow in fits and starts. We forget. We stumble. We have to be reminded. I know I do. We have to be dusted off. We forget, and it's frustrating. And this is what I do, and maybe you find this to be helpful, that we have to have cues in our life to remind us and to reorient us to reorient our hearts, to bring us back to the right perspective. And two I use are this. 
Now, I, I'm, I'm not a big song person. You know, songs, you know, I could take or leave the music. Can we just come straight to the preaching? But I get it. It's, it's really important. And occasionally there are songs that are a big deal for me. And, and so one of the cues that I have used to remind me is currently is a song called Jesus is Better to remind me of who he is and what he's done for me and to remind me that he is sovereign, that he is faithful, and that he is in control. Jesus is better. One of the lines in it is this, your kindly rule. So we get, you know, he's ruling, he's sovereign, he's in control, but your kindly rule has shattered and broken the curse of sin's tyranny. We need to be reminded of what he's done for us So all of this other stuff, this is small potatoes compared to this big deal. Your kindly rule has shattered and broken the curse of sin's tyranny. My life is hidden neath heaven's shadow. Your crimson flood covers me. Your crimson flood covers me. And then it goes into the chorus. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. In all my victories, Jesus is better than any comfort. Jesus is better more than all riches. Jesus is better. Our soul's declaring Jesus is better. And at the end of all of those, it's make my heart believe. Because our hearts are prone to wonder, Jesus, make my heart believe. I know you're sovereign and I want free will and I want to choose, but please grab my heart and make it believe. So for me, one of the cues I need is songs. Songs remind us. Remember what we've sung this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. Another place I turn is to Scripture. So my word of the year is trust, right? It's trust. So I've picked out a handful of verses that talk about trust. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So it reminds me that I can lean on on Him because my understanding is very limited. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Blessed is, blessed is. See, that piques my interest. I want to be blessed. I'm assuming that when you walked in this morning, you're not thinking, you know, what do I got to do to be not blessed? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Commit your way, Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. This is to remind me, to remind me. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, 3. Perfect peace. I could use some perfect peace. Because in the culture, in what's happening in the news and with the virus this and the politics that. <laughs> Man, perfect peace. Perfect peace. I will trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me. He's asking, God, I want your favor. I want your favor. Blessing and peace and favor flow from trusting in the sovereign goodness of God. But that's not the end. See, we want the sovereign goodness and the favor and the peace. And, and because it is from that place that we become a blessing to others. The sovereign power of God is in us. So we should recognize, recognize His sovereign goodness and pray big. 
pray big. We should rely on His sovereign goodness and, and share boldly. We should resolve resolve to live as a blessing to others, understanding that we have been blessed by the big, great, kind God, creator of the universe. But not just so we can sit back and relax and enjoy it because He wants to do something through us. God is sovereign. So what we're trying to do in this series, we're trying to hold out you these great attributes of God because that's what we have a connection and a, a relationship to. And because that God wants to do something through us through us individually, through us corporately, to make a difference in our community. We have an opportunity to be a part of that. But are we going to continue to pray little bitty prayers and be hesitant to share? Or are we going to pray expectingly greater things than we could even hope or imagine? And are we going to engage with people understanding that eternity is at stake? We must proclaim the name of Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for your kindness and your goodness and your graciousness towards us. Lord, you are a sovereign God who is there and a God who cares. Lord, help us to know that and to understand that and to press that down deep into our hearts, Lord. Because out of the overflow of that, it's how we're going to pray and respond to you. And it's how we're going to share and respond to others. Lord, the world needs hope. It needs peace. And you are the answer. Lord, we just pray that you would use us to be the vehicle through which you bring that to them. Lord, we just pray that you would use us in a mighty way, any way you see fit. And we pray that you would do it through Anthem Church as well to reach this part of the world. And we trust you for this, and we ask expectingly. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.